you will please get out your Bibles and open back up to Ephesians chapter 4. We were in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Uh, and, and we're going to be focused on the same text this evening. There's a lot of information uh, in this text. And so I didn't want to just skim over it. I really wanted to dwell on it and to think about it. Uh, and so tonight we're going to continue our discussion of looking at the basic elements of unity. Now, chapter 4 is all about unity, helping us understand how we could possibly be united together. Uh, and so we're going to study through this this morning, uh, this evening. This morning we looked at unity and, and we talked about how God has given us everything we need really to be united. Uh, it's just really difficult for us sometimes to actually follow through and become a united group, a united people who are striving and, and working together. Uh, there's a lot of difficulties that we run into. And, and Sometimes what we find is that it's difficult to unite because there's a lack of humility. Uh, there's a lack of gentleness. While worthy of the calling to which we've been called, we must have this first inner transformation uh, that, that takes place in our heart. And, and we must decide in ourselves not to be proud and boastful, not to be self-righteous, and, and not to be harsh and judgmental toward one another. Uh, and another issue that commonly comes up in our efforts to be unified is that we don't like to give up on our, our beliefs uh, and our convictions and our opinions sometimes that aren't really scripturally bound or scripturally focused. Uh, and maybe we have a belief that we think is scripturally bound and scripturally focused and we're not open, up, open enough and humble enough to accept the fact that we might not have it all figured out. Uh, so these are, these are things that would hinder our unity and our growth together, that we can work together, that we can uh, function together as God's people and shine as lights to glorify God on the earth, which is our mission. It's our goal in everything we do. We want to glorify God. And so we need to work together to make sure that we maintain unity in the bond of peace. And that happens through our study together. This is why we gather together so often to study the Bible. This is why we have extra opportunities to study the Bible available. Because we all need the same standard of that are common among us all. Uh, and, and there's some difficulty in that. And we, we, we have to admit that some things are harder than others. And there's some things that we're not going to come to an agreement on. Uh, but there are seven elements here that Paul tells us about that we need to be striving to, to be united on. And I'm grateful that I, th I think the majority, if not everybody here, is united on all of these things as we come together all the time. This is a Sunday night crowd. You guys are here all the time. Uh, you're striving to know and learn and grow, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. But we need to be able to work on uh, spreading this with others. Uh, this morning, I think we had quite a few people who probably have different opinions about these seven things. And really, as we go out and talk to other people who are out in the world, there's going to be a lot of differences of opinions on all of these things. And we need to be willing to open up the Word and discuss 
with an open heart and an open mind uh, and bring these things up to one another and discuss them in order to determine what is true. Because that's really what we should be focused on. This morning we looked at the first four elements. Uh, he said there is one body. Uh, and that tells us there's not multiples. We can't uh, cut, a, cut a piece off of the body and then go over here and make our own body that will grow up and be this mega church that uh, is, is raking in all kinds of money and then somehow able to glorify God. If it's not the body, if it's not Christ's body that, that was originated by Christ and his apostles, then... It's not the one. There is one body. And so our desire is not to become a great big body that's not really focused on being the body of Christ. Our desire is to be a part of the one body that God has established in Jesus Christ. Then we talked about the one spirit. And there's a lot of confusion about this idea uh, but, but we looked at how the Holy Spirit is talked about in the New Testament as being the one who provides us with the truth. That's what the one Spirit really is all about. The Holy Spirit was provided by Jesus to his apostles, and he, he came after Jesus was resurrected. He gave them the Spirit that revealed to them all the truth so that they could then turn and reveal all the truth in their inspired words. And that's what we are all listening to and studying together, is the one spirit. And, and it all makes sense, right? There's no way we can be united if we just listen to everybody's uh, beliefs and everybody's feelings. There has to be unity in the message. And that's what the Holy Spirit provides to us. So it's not some mystical, uh, we, we feel the Spirit leading us in this direction. No, we all have the Spirit leading us through the scriptures that we read and study together. There are uh, workings of the Holy Spirit around us, and that is something maybe that we can sense in some, on some level. But ultimately, to have unity, everything we do must be guided by the message that was once for all delivered. Uh, and so that's what we talked about this morning. I'm not going to, I'm just summarizing, trying to bring all of this in for those that missed this morning. Then he said that there is one hope of our calling. And that idea in Ephesians 1 through 3 is the hope of being to the praise of God's glory. That's the calling we've received. And people have asked me, uh, you know, when did you get your calling to preach? And uh, I love the way Paul Earnhardt put it in an article I, I put out there a few months ago. Uh, he said, I was called to preach whenever I was called to be a, a Christian. Uh, that's the calling that we received, was the calling to serve God and live to the praise of his glory. Whatever that means, whatever work, whatever gift God has given me to do, uh, that I will do. Uh, that is my calling. And, and we all have been called to give God glory through our lives by becoming more righteous, by becoming more holy, by becoming more devoted to God in everything we do. Whatever gift we have, we devote it to the Lord. That is the one calling that we all have. And we talked this morning how this is indicating that we have hope for transformation in our lives. And everybody around us who is uh, joining with us on this journey, who is a part of the body, it, they all have hope of transformation. And even if they're not there yet, they have hope. And we're joined together in our hope. We all need to be more like Jesus. And we all have hope that God is working in us to make us more like him. Then the one Lord idea. 
Jesus must be the Lord of our hearts, the Lord of our minds, the basis for everything we do. Uh, he is the reason why we live and breathe and do this or do that. It's because of our Lord. We serve him with everything that we have. That unifies us. There's, there's no separate you know, groups with separate bodies and separate spirits and separate callings and separate Lord. No, there is one, and we are all joined together in this. There's not a single person who is a part of the body of Christ who is not receiving all of these things, and there's only one of them. There's not multiples. Well, now let's look at the fifth. He says there is one faith. You know, if there's any... Uh, on this list that would get me a lot of dirty looks, <laughs> it would probably be this one. There's so many people out there today who want to accept multiple faiths, multiple beliefs, multiple religions. And some people will say, we will not be united unless we accept them all. And yet, here we see that there's only one faith that is truly acceptable to God. Multiple faiths are accepted by our society, but God only established one faith by which man can come to salvation. And that faith comes through the hearing of the word. Again, what unites us is the word of God. In Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 16 and 17, it says... Uh, they have not obeyed, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The faith that people have is not in the word of Christ. The belief, the trust that they have is not in the word of the gospel that has been given once for all. But it's a faith that's in uh, the word of men the thoughts of men, uh, the idea that uh, if, if something feels right to me, then I believe that it's true. And because I have such a strong belief, it's got to be true. That's just completely opposed. And completely opposed to unity, completely opposed to what God has originally put in place. There is absolute objective truth that we can have faith in. And unity doesn't come by setting that one absolute truth aside and, and seeing what else might work, seeing what else might be acceptable. Unity comes by holding that absolute truth up and, and lifting it up and striving after it as the truth. And everything else doesn't meet up to that. I said this morning, uh, this all sounds very harsh, very judgmental, uh, very narrow-minded. But the truth is, there's no other way. We cannot be united unless we have open and honest hearts to accept the one truth that has been given to us from God. It will not happen. It's not you do you and me do me. That's not unity. That's isolationism. That's independence. 
And so it's going to be difficult for us to come together and decide and understand on what the one truth is, but there is only one truth. And by believing that, we will receive dirty looks and we will receive harshness from those who are outside who are very intolerant of the beliefs that are intolerant of other beliefs. Uh, And we want to be gentle and we want to be patient and we want to be loving and and kind toward people, but but at the end of the day, uh, saying 2 plus 2 equals 4, saying that there's something that is absolutely true beyond a shadow of a doubt, does not make us narrow-minded. It just makes us willing to submit to, to whatever it is that we have understood from the Word of God. And it makes everybody who's out there saying 2 plus 2 equals 22 or 24, or whatever they might say, it makes them really foolish. It's just they're, they're foolish, they're stubborn, they're rebellious, they're hard-hearted, they refuse to submit, they refuse to humble themselves to the one faith that was once and for all delivered for us. And I wish that wasn't the case. But as, as difficult as it might be for us to share the one faith idea to those around us, we need to do it. Because acting like there are multiple faiths doesn't help anybody. Uh, acting like it's okay for you to believe whatever you believe as, as, as long as you have a good heart about it is not really unifying us to accomplish the mission of glorifying God. And again, that's what we go back to. Why are we going to be so stubborn about all these things? Why are we going to say there's only one body, only one spirit, only one calling, only one Lord, only one faith, because God says so. And to take away what God says is not to walk worthy, and it's not glorifying Him. At the foundational level, it's glorifying ourselves. We are seeking to satisfy ourselves whenever we just let the truth go and and don't own it. And that's what we're being called to do. Own it. And own it with love and discuss it with one another and own it with humility, recognizing that I could be wrong about which one is true and, and maybe I've got the wrong one and wrong understanding, but... I think I understand pretty clearly the gospel that has been given to me in the Word. Now, you live, we live in a very uh, faith-driven society that actually holds to the gospel for the most part. Uh, you go to somewhere a little bit more liberal, you go to a, a West Palm Beach, you go to a San Francisco, and this idea just blows up everywhere. There's nobody who really believes this. But around here, people pretty much accept the idea that there is one faith. They just think it's my faith. <laughs> and, and we have to be patient and kind and gentle. And hey, they're there. They, at least they believe that there's an absolute objective truth uh, that, that they can grab, all, grab a hold of. We just need to be open and gentle enough to have a good conversation and, and to let them help us get it right where we've made mistakes and, and maybe help them a little bit to get it right where they've made mistakes. Because the goal, again, is not division, but the goal is unity. We want to bring people into the one body 
the one Lord, the one faith. We want to bring them in. We don't want to push them away. And if they're unwilling to come, that's on them. But our goal is just to point to the truth and let them make up their mind. The one faith idea, not so much of a debate uh, idea around here. But the sixth element is pretty hotly debated pretty much anywhere you go because the majority of Christians, uh, Christians, people who call themselves Christians in the world today, uh, have a differing view on baptism than what this text actually says. <laughs> There's a lot of people who have different views about baptism. And yet, God in his wisdom chose to bring that into the list. Now, why bring this in here? Baptism isn't that important, right? Why would we bring in baptism? I mean, it's just this sacrament. It's just this sign that, that we don't really even have to do. <laughs> but he says in these seven basic elements, the things that we're joined together, joining us together, uniting us as one, that there is one baptism. First of all, I'd like to ask, is that correct? Is there really just one baptism? You go through the New Testament, you might be confused by this idea. There's one baptism. Wait a second. Uh, how many baptisms are found in the New Testament? You've got John's baptism. Uh, let's see, Jesus is a, a different baptism than John. John. John says that. He says, I'm baptizing with water for forgiveness of sins, for repentance. Uh, but one coming after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that's Matthew 11, Matthew. 3 verse 11, but then there's also an idea that you'll hear tossed around that there's a Holy Spirit baptism. So is there, is there three different baptisms or is there just one baptism? And where does this Holy Spirit baptism come from? Maybe you've heard this idea before. Well, if you go into a discussion with someone who believes in the Holy Spirit baptism, uh, their argument comes from Acts chapter 2, uh, and verses 3 and 4, and then Acts chapter 10. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, you have the disciples on the day of Pentecost, and, and divided tongues as of fire appear to them and rest on each one of them, and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there's a, a picture of the Spirit filling them and descending on them, uh, yet there's no mention of a baptism here. Uh, but they assume that there's a pouring out of the Spirit that must refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is what they have concluded this text is really all about. Uh, it's interesting as you go into Acts chapter 10, you see another occurrence like this one. Oh, so there's two events that, have, that happen where the Holy Spirit is kind of poured out on somebody. Two Holy Spirit baptisms mentioned in the New Testament. Well, notice again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not really directly mentioned. It's just inferred. Uh, in Acts 10, 44, it says, while uh, Peter was still saying these things, now Peter is uh, one of the apostles who had the original uh, Holy Spirit poured out on him in Acts chapter 2, and now he's speaking to Cornelius, a Gentile, and it says the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, Cornelius and all of his family, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. 
But notice what happens next. It says, Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked him to remain for some days. Now notice here that uh, there was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on these Gentiles. The first time that's ever happened, by the way. And a very similar picture from Acts 2. They were speaking in tongues and, and prophecy, so to speak, of uh, uh, miraculous workings as a result of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on these men. But then there's a recognition, a, a statement, that they needed to be baptized with water. There's no mention of this being a Holy Spirit baptism, uh, but there's a recognition, there's a Holy Spirit has fallen upon these men, and there are signs very visible to the Jews as they look at these Gentiles that God is accepting them to be his people. And so they say, can anybody uh, prevent these people from being baptized with water. Now, why would he say that? They've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They don't need any other baptisms. There's only one baptism, except maybe the Holy Spirit baptism isn't real. Maybe the pouring out of the Spirit is something entirely different than baptism. And whenever we go throughout the Old Testament, we actually see that very clearly. The pouring out of the Spirit is a sign that indicates... God's salvation coming to men in the first century. The baptism is water baptism. And, and part of the confusion that, that goes along with this is that as you look at baptism and water baptism specifically throughout the New Testament, what you see is that water baptism includes the working of the Holy Spirit. You actually see this in multiple places, but one of them is very clearly in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, a very commonly known text when the, the sinners on the day of Pentecost said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter responds, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here is a very clear picture of if you will submit to repentance and, and baptism you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is a washing uh, that is taking place in baptism and a renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in the baptism to renew. And we looked at earlier in Ephesians, the sealing of the Holy Spirit takes place. The blood of Jesus is applied to the heart in the act of baptism. It's not that we do this work to earn it, or anything along those lines. It's not that this is some kind of a sacrament, a work that we do, out of a ritual that we do, but it is that God is working in the baptism. And probably the most clear picture of the one baptism that we, we see repeated throughout the New Testament is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, uh, where Peter makes it clear that baptism is not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but it is uh, an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how do we have that good conscience? Well, we have faith in the powerful working of God when we're baptized to remove all sins and forgive us of all sins, to nail the record of debts that stand against us, 
and apply the blood of Jesus for our forgiveness for all time. So long as we remain a part of the one body and, and we, we're holding on to the one faith that, uh, and the one hope of our calling, as long as we're serving the one Lord, that one baptism unites us all, brings us into Christ's body, and provides for the forgiveness of our sins. And this is supposed to unite us all together. Yet this is one of the most divisive things that we bring up to people around us. That there is one baptism talked about in the New Testament and that that baptism is very clearly uh, the working of God to forgive us of our sins. I think Satan has been working hard to bring this about to where we have such difficulty. But I think those challenges that we face as we try to bring up the one baptism help us draw closer together as we have a belief that is very different from the world around us and that is very scripturally founded and scripturally based. And so we must unite together under this major difference that we have with the denominational world around us. And we must seek to spread the truth and, and seek to bring people into the one body through the baptism uh, and, and the renewal and the washing that Jesus is offering to us all. The final uh, element of unity that he mentions is that there is one God and Father of all. And he says, who is over all and through all and in all. I love, I love how descriptive he is of God. And I love how he brings him in at the very end. He's talked about Jesus, our Lord. He's talked about the Holy Spirit. And now he brings in God. So the Trinity is, is being mentioned here as there is one of each of these godly bodies. Yet they are all a part of the, the one united uh, people of God and body of God that is worshiping God and glorifying God. And this God and Father of all is over everything. So you've got a picture here, okay, of a body, a person. You just imagine a person. There's a body there. Uh, and then there's a head, the Lord. And then there's a spirit, a breath inside of them. And, and there's a, a calling, a, a purpose in their life. There's a faith that they have. There's a baptism that they've been baptized into. And there is a God and Father over that person. That's the picture that, that he's bringing us of, of we are united, we are the body, we have all of this in common, and we are working together toward the goal of glorifying our Father in heaven just as Christ worked to glorify God while he lived on the earth. Being one with Christ and being a part of his body means that we are continuing the work that he did on the earth. When you go throughout the book of John, you can't miss his constant focus on God, what God has done for him and what he is doing for God. Uh, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is John chapter 17. And John chapter 17 is just so full of, of texts talking about how God is, has been working to glorify Jesus 
and how Jesus is working to glorify God. There's, they're, they're one with each other. And Jesus is working not just to glorify God, but he's also working to bring his disciples up to the point where they too are glorifying God and where God will one day share the glory he gives to Jesus with his disciples. And as you go through that text near the end, you'll see that he doesn't just want the disciples to be glorified and to be one with him, but he wants them to be one with the Father. He wants everyone, all of the relationship that he shares with God, with the Holy Spirit, and with us, he wants that to be shared and there to be a community and not, not just three, but four, all in relationship, in fellowship with one another. And this is the picture that Paul is pointing us to, that there is one God and Father of all who is over all of us, but also he is through all of us, and he is in all of us. You get the picture that God is just as much with us and intertwined with us as, as anyone could ever be. There's no separation of God and the body. There's no separation of God and the Son or God and the Holy Spirit. God is one with us. He's working with us. We are working with Him. Our mission is to glorify Him, and He is helping us along the way. And He's like this loving Father who is bringing along His Son to accomplish the purpose and the desires that He has. The world around us tells us there are many gods. Uh, it's, it's gotten to the point whenever people start talking about God, uh, you just know that they don't really know the God of the Bible. They're talking about some other God that's in their mind that they've created, that they've made up, and it's not the one true God in the Bible. And so it's important for us to know the one true God and to have Him as our loving Heavenly Father. And that's, again, why we gather together to study the Word together so that we know Him and that we are one with Him. Our mission is intertwined with His mission. Our desires are intertwined with His desires. We know Him. We know what He needs. We know what He wants. And we are in a better position to deliver those blessings, uh, those wonderful blessings to all those around us that... that God is glorious and he's worthy of our praise and that he wants others around us to be a part of the body. You know, Jesus said his mission was to seek and save that which was lost. God sent him to do that. And that also is our working and our mission as we live on this earth. And so we see the, the work that God has given us to do. We see the unified uh, effort that, that we can do as God's people to bring about the glory of God. Let's talk about, kind of summarize all of this. I mean, it's been two sermons, so it's been a lot of information. We see God is glorified when we're unified. And we're, we're wondering, how do we unify? How does all this work together? Well, we just kind of scratched the surface. Uh, the next section, which I won't get to for another two weeks is going to start detailing some of the work that we do and how it is that we operate as the body of Christ to accomplish this mission. But what he's given us so far 
is, is very helpful. He, give, he gives us kind of the attitude that we must have. We are seeking to be unified and we're seeking to follow after what is true with humility, gentleness, patience, and love. And so that's our desire. That's our goal. That's, that's what unity has to be based on. And we see very clearly in this some warnings. I mean, as we study it together, it's just kind of like, well, I see that there's supposed to be one of all these things, but there's a lot of them out in the world. Well, that kind of, that, that, that lets us know, we learn from that, that God will not be glorified if we follow the, the, the teachings of men. If we just loyally submit ourselves to what those who've gone before us have always believed. Just blindly following after whatever they've said because, hey, that's what I'm most comfortable with and that's what uh, I enjoy doing, so of course that's the way we're going to do that. No, God's not glorified when we do it that way. That's not what the body is supposed to be about. And as we talk to our friends and as we talk to our neighbors, there will be a lot of resistance in them to join themselves to the true body of Christ, to join themselves to the true uh, Lord and the true faith and the true baptism because they are loyal to their friends or their family or what they've always believed and they're unwilling to let those things go. And it's easy for us to look at them and say, well, why are you doing that? But maybe we're doing the same thing sometimes. We've got to be very careful about that. God is not glorified when we loyally follow those who've gone before us. Our whole denominational world is all about that. There's all kinds of teaching from men that are just being spread around and, and repeated in cycle after cycle, doctrine after doctrine uh, that is being promoted and taught as though it's Scripture. God is not glorified in that. So that's not our goal. Also, we learn that God is not glorified when we follow our own hearts and do what we feel is good. That might be a desire inside of us as we have uh, these traditions before us and these things are really comfortable to us and changing these things might feel a little uncomfortable. We have to understand that it's not about what feels comfortable. That's not what glorifies God, for me to just stay in my comfort zone. I need to get out of the comfort zone. And I need to push on, push forward to do more for God than I've ever done before. To do something different than the generations before me. And we've been seeing this in kings, right? All of these kings go through and what do they do? They don't remove the high places. Why not? Well, my father didn't and his father didn't. <laughs> and they just refused to do that. Well, we can't be like that. We can't just stick to what's comfortable. We can't follow our hearts and do what's in our hearts. Everything we do must be driven out of the word. And everything we, we do must be with a desire to glorify God and to bring about the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We want to join together in this work. And it may be uncomfortable at times, but that's okay. Uh, we can accomplish this mission and we can glorify God. If we just leave our feelings and what we're used to and what we're comfortable with behind and we just devote ourselves to what the Scriptures teach us, and use whatever means, whatever tools we have available to us to, to glorify God. And finally, we see that God is not glorified when we're harsh, when we're critical, uh, or divisive toward one another. 
we should speak to one another the truth in love. That should be our heart's desire. That will promote unity which will result in the glory of God. I know I don't do everything perfect. <laughs> I know I'm far from perfect. And that I make all kinds of mistakes. And I'm still pretty young and green behind the ears and all of that kind of stuff. And I know that there are some here who have a lot of struggles and a lot of difficulties. And, uh, you know, just we all make mistakes. We all do things wrong. But isn't it great to be a part of a group? that is loving and patient and gentle and humble and, and, and willing to correct with graciousness and compassion. We don't ever want to let go of that. We want to promote that. We want to strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And if we have failed in that, in some ways, which maybe we have. Maybe we haven't spoken when people needed correcting or, uh, you know, actually tried to pull people toward the truth and we just kind of overlooked things. Then may God have mercy on us. And may we learn to love one another enough to say what's uncomfortable, to bring people to know what the one truth is. If you're here tonight and you have seen that there is one truth and that you are not living in accordance with it. Uh, maybe you uh, have had a faith that is differing from the Bible in some way. Maybe you've had a baptism that was differing from the one baptism. Uh, maybe you've been serving another Lord than the one Lord. If we can help you and, and pray for you, we want to do that. Uh, but if, if you need to take that to the Lord and just uh, have that conversation, we want to encourage you to do that. And we want to help you if we can, but uh, what's most important is that you get your heart right with God before it's eternally too late. And then join us and work together with us. Uh, there's a lot of exciting and fun things that we can do together if we will just be involved and devote ourselves to the work God has given us to do. If there's any way that we can help you, will you come as we stand and sing?